you know, you always need to brag on these song leaders. You know that? Folks, don't ever upset the song leader. Maybe you heard about the preacher and the song leader that were not getting along. They were fussing and fighting. And it began to spill over into the Sunday assemblies. Uh, one Sunday morning, the preacher got up and he preached on commitment. How we ought to be committed to the Lord. And after the sermon, the song leader led the song, I shall not be moved. Well, the next Sunday, the preacher got up and he preached on giving, how we ought to liberally give to the work of the church. And after the sermon, the song leader led the song, Jesus paid it all. Well, the next Sunday, the preacher got up and he preached on gossip, how we ought to be very careful about the way that we use our tongues. And after the sermon, the song leader led the song, I love to tell the story. Well, the next Sunday, the preacher got up and he preached on alcohol. He said, brothers and sisters, if I had all the whiskey in the world, I would take it and I would throw it into the river. And would you believe the song leader led the song, shall we gather at the river? Well, as you can imagine, that upset the preacher, made the preacher mad. And the next Sunday, he got up and he told his church that he was thinking about resigning, quitting, going somewhere else to preach. And the song leader led the song, oh, why not tonight? Well, as you can imagine, the preacher quit. He resigned. He went somewhere else to preach. And the last Sunday he was there, he got up and he said, Now, brothers and sisters, it's Jesus who's brought me here and it's Jesus who's taken me away. And with a big old smile on his face, the song leader led the song, What a friend we have in Jesus. So you never want to upset these song leaders. Brag on these song leaders. And we've had some super singing this week. Let me tell you about uh, Forest Park. Uh, you're a different kind of church. What I've been able to see in four days. Before COVID, I was preaching in about 40 to 45 different churches of Christ every year. And I've seen a lot of different congregations. Uh, this is an exceptional church. I do not say that everywhere I go. There just seems to me a lot of love in this church, a lot of encouragement, a lot of brother Bills in this church, Barnabases in this church. And uh, this church seems to be at, at peace with one another. Uh, the elders are really pastors. They're shepherds uh, trying to oversee this church. Uh, last Sunday, I was here and you appointed a deacon. Wow. And uh, you have mission work going on throughout the world. You're concerned about souls. You're concerned about evangelism. And, and, and you're talking about lads to leaders. And I tell you, folks, uh, we've had some wonderful attendances this week. Monday night and Tuesday night. So uh, I, I tell you, if I were not a member of the Hendersonville Church of Christ, where I preached for 16 and a half years, uh, I, I'd like to be a member here. Uh, you're good people. And uh, there's a lot of excitement that's going on. Brother West, Brother Chance, love you and you love them as ministers. And that's the way it ought to be. Uh, preachers loving the church and church loving the preachers. The elders love you. They care about you. Uh, there's, there's an excitement here that I do not see everywhere. So I'm honored to be with you. Thank you 
Uh, thank you for honoring your teachers on Saturday night. Uh, churches that are growing or churches that honor one another, you give honor to whom honor is due. So uh, it's been a blessing for me to be here. I've walked on holy ground this week. And thank you for the uh, tremendous encouragement that uh, you have been to me. Well, we sang it. I didn't know that Don was going to lead this song, Give Me the Bible. Tell you what let's do. Let's get a Bible count tonight. You know, in Churches of Christ, we count people every Sunday. May I see your Bible? Just hold it up and be proud of it. Wow. Wow, Wes has you trained. That's awesome. I want you to take that Bible and just kind of hold it in your hands. It's a big book, 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the old, 27 in the new. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. How many? 1,189. What is this book all about? Let me sum it up with one word. A one-word summary of this big book. Jesus. This book is about Jesus and it's from Jesus. No wonder Paul would say in Colossians 3 and verse 16, let the word of Christ, let the word of Jesus live in you richly because this book is about Jesus. Three facts about Jesus in the Bible. Fact number one, from Genesis through Malachi, that's Old Testament. The implication is Jesus is coming. Uh, many prophets of old, people like Isaiah, Jeremiah, the psalmist, Micah, predicted the coming of Jesus Christ. The Son of God, the Savior, will come. Fact number two, from Matthew 1 through Acts 1, the implication is Jesus is here. Emmanuel, God with us. We can see Him. We can hear Him. God became flesh, lived among men. Fact number three, from Acts 1, verse 11 through Revelation 22, 21, the rest of the Bible, the implication is Jesus is coming again. The Son of God, the Savior, is coming again. So Old Testament, He's coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, He's here. Acts through Revelation, He is coming again. And that third implied fact, the fact that Jesus is coming again, is the fact that we're going to be talking about tonight in a lesson entitled, There's a Great Day coming. I want you to take that Bible that you hold in your hands and I want you to go with me please to the book of 2 Peter. It comes at the end of the New Testament right after Hebrews and James. We have 1 Peter then 2 Peter and tonight we go to 2 Peter chapter 3. Are you with me? Chapter 3 of the book of 2 Peter and we're going to read a few verses together starting in verse 1. Peter says, the second epistle, the second letter, beloved, I now write unto you. Obviously, he had already written number one. This is number two. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, knowing this first, that there should come to the last day scoffers. What does that mean? Mockers, scoffers, walking after their own lust and saying, what will they say? Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning, from the start of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the Word of God, that is the Word from heaven, the Word of God, 
the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens of the earth, which are now by the same word, that is the word of God, are kept in store, reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Verse 8, but beloved church, brothers and sisters, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. In a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack. He's not slow concerning His promise. As some men count slackness, but His long suffering to us. What does that mean? He's patient with us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief of the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Question. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Verse 12 catches my attention. Looking far and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless we, that is we Christians, nevertheless we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwells or lives righteousness. In that Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. I want you to glance back to verse 10. You may want to circle verse 10 in your Bible. It's the uh, key verse and the context of tonight's study. Everything that I say in tonight's lesson somehow will relate, will connect to 2 Peter 3 and verse 10. Peter said, but the day of the Lord will come. I, I didn't know that we were going to sing this for an invitation, but what a great invitation song. There's a great day coming. There's a great day coming. There's a great day coming by and by. Now all of us have lived great days, right? Would you agree with that? Uh, folks, I'm a big uh, Alabama fan. Grew up in the state of Alabama. Monday was a big day for Alabama people. The national championship. That was a big day. Uh, you might say, Keith, the greatest day of my life was the day that I was married. Do you remember that day? You stood before the preacher. The preacher said, do you? And I, you said, I do. I heard about two women that were talking. They were friends. One of them said to the other woman, well, I got married the other day. And the friend said, you did what? You got married? Wow, that's good. And the first woman said, it ain't so good. He's, uh, he's old. My husband is old. And the guest, uh, the other lady said, he's old? Oh, oh that's bad. And she said, it ain't so bad. He's, he's rich. Oh, he's rich. Well, that's good. She said, it ain't so good. He's a miser. Oh, he's a miser. That's bad. She said, it ain't so bad. He bought me a house. He bought you a house. That's good. She said, it ain't so good. The house burned. Oh, the house burned. That's bad. She said, it ain't so bad. He was in it. Maybe that's the way you feel about your husband or wife. I don't know. But I think most of us, as we think back on our wedding day, would say, you know, that was a great day, the day that I was married. Boy, that was a great day. That's how most of us would feel, right? You might say, Brother Keith, the greatest day of my life was the day that I was baptized. 
I'm just thinking out loud. How many of you were baptized right here in this baptistry? Anybody right here in this baptistry? Wow, a few of you were. Very good. Do you remember who baptized you? I did baptize Pete. You know, for about 20 years, we, uh, we, we kind of thought he was a child safe in the arms of Jesus. Not able to understand the difference in right and wrong. He started talking to us about being baptized. Pete, why do you want to be baptized? And he would say in his own way, for the forgiveness of sins. We didn't know what to do but to baptize him. And he was baptized when he was about 20. Do you remember who baptized you? Do you remember coming up out of the water feeling so clean, so white, so saved, so forgiven? See, that was a great day, right? The day that you were baptized. Uh, You might say, Keith, the greatest day of my life was the day that I struck it rich. I became rich instantly overnight. Some time ago, I saw a fellow being interviewed on TV. He had struck it rich overnight. He had become a millionaire instantly. And somebody said to him, Sir, was this the greatest day of your life? He said, oh no, oh no. He said, the greatest day of my life was the day that my wife was cured of cancer. Maybe you've been cured of cancer. Uh, Maybe you've been to the doctor and the doctor said, hey, your cancer is in remission. And you thought, wow, I can live again. I'm clean. I I have my life back. See, all of us have lived great, great days. But let me tell you something, folks. There's a greater day that's coming. And the day that Peter is talking about here in 2 Peter chapter 3 will be, you mark it down, it will be the greatest day of our lives. You know why I say this? I say this because on that day, the day that Jesus comes, everything else will not matter. It will not matter who won a football championship when Jesus comes. And what you eat, what you eat, that's not going to matter. It's not going to matter if you uh, went to Cracker Barrel or you ate crackers. And the day that Jesus comes, the kind of house you live in, that's not going to be important. It's not going to be important. It's not going to matter if you lived in a million-dollar mansion or a mud house and the kind of car you drive, that's not going to be important. It's not going to matter if you drove a Lexus or a Lemon. And I'm telling you, folks, your education, that's not going to be at the top of the list. It's not going to matter the day that Jesus comes. It's not going to matter if you graduated from high school or you graduated from Harvard. I'm saying all of these things are not going to matter. The only thing that's really going to matter is, am I saved or lost? Well, I hear Jesus say, come, come, you blessed my Father, inherit the kingdom, prepare for you from the foundation of the world, or... Well, I hear Jesus say, depart, depart from me, you cursed, and everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's the only thing, the only thing that really, truly will be important. There is a great day that's coming. We've seen the question, are you ready? So I want to ask you, are you ready? Are you ready for that great day That's coming. Well, to answer that question, are you ready? What I want to do tonight, I'll tell you where I want to go. I want to ask six questions. Six questions. The first three will be doctrinal questions and the last three very practical questions. So that's where we're headed with this lesson. Six questions. The first three, doctrinal, what does the Bible say? Questions. And then the last three, very practical questions. To answer the question, are we ready for that day that's coming? Here's question number one, doctrinal question number one. Who? 
And by who, I simply mean who is coming. Who is coming? Well, let's go back to the text. Verse 10. It's the key verse. You've circled that verse. Peter said, but the day of the Lord will come. Who's coming? The Lord is coming. I think about what Jesus said in John chapter 14. We often use this at funerals. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Jesus said, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many, I know, I know one Bible says many rooms. Folks, I have a room at 106 Spyglass Way. I don't want another room. I want a mansion. What about you? In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, what did Jesus say? I will come again. Who's coming? The Lord is coming. I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you know, Jesus did not lie. He did go to prepare that place. Acts 1, 9 through 11. He ascended into heaven. And then I think about what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. For the Lord Himself, who's coming? Not some fake, not an imposter, not some preacher. The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a... Do you remember the verse? You know, in churches of Christ, we don't want the preacher shouting, do we? I mean, you don't want the preacher standing up here and yelling and screaming. Man, that sounds too Pentecostal. That sounds too denominational. Folks, I'm telling you, when Jesus comes, according to the Bible, He's coming with a shout. Right? Scripture says, shout! With a shout, the voice of the angel, trump of God. Dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them and the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You know, there's not a verse in this book, not a one, that ever indicates that Jesus is going to set foot on earth again. Scripture says we're going to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I've heard people talk about the degrees of punishment in hell and the degrees of reward in heaven. You ever heard that discussion? Hey, preacher, will there be different degrees of punishment in the bad place? Will there be different degrees of reward in the good place? You know, I believe that the Bible teaches that. But let me tell you something, folks. If my degree of reward in heaven is the smallest, the least of all people, the reality of being in the holy presence of Jesus will be enough for me. See, I want to go to heaven to be with God. I want to go to heaven to be with my heavenly Father. And I don't know if it's going to be possible but it's possible to reach out and to hug Him and to thank Him for sending His Son, Jesus. And I want to go to heaven to be with God, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that lives in this body. And I don't know if it's going to be possible, but it's possible to reach out and to hug the Spirit and to say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving to me the mind of God through the Holy Bible. Thank you for Scripture. And I want to go to heaven to be with God the Son, Jesus Himself. And it's possible to reach out and to hug Him and to thank Him and to say, thank you, Jesus, for dying. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for being raised for my sin. Thank you, Lord. And I would say, as Paul said, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, I'd rather be absent from this body. I'd rather be absent from this life to be at home, to be present with Jesus. Who's coming? But the day of the Lord. Jesus is coming. There is a great day that's coming. One day Jesus will come. That's question, doctrinal question number one. Here's number two. 
When? When is Jesus coming? Well, go back to the verse. 2 Peter 3, verse 10. Peter said, but the day of the Lord will come. And then he says, as a thief in the night. Have you ever met a thief? You ever been broken into, robbed, stolen from? Many, many years ago, we lived where Wes, in, in the general area where Wes grew up. Sykeston, Missouri. We didn't live in Sykeston. We lived in Poplar Bluff. We graduated from Freed Harbin University. I moved to Poplar Bluff, Missouri, southeastern part of the state, and started working for a little church in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. We were there for about five and a half years, but I remember one night, Sandra and I were away in the community, away from our house, out visiting some people, and we came back in, and we, we, we walked into our house, and we found out that a, that a guest had been there, an and uninvited guest, an unwanted guest had been to our house. Uh, this guy had broken down our door, came in. I don't know why I remember this, but I remember he, he drank some juice, some orange juice from our fridge, and he stole two of our TVs, the one in our bedroom and the one in our living room. He came in and the thief took two of our TVs. Well, we came in. We, we were shocked that somebody had broken in. and So we called the police. The police came and they did their thing. And A few days later, guess what I did? A few days later, I went out and I bought me a brand new TV. You can't live without TV, can you? You ever tried to do without TV? I tell you, we're hooked to the plug-in drug. We really are. Can't live without TV. So I went out and I bought me a brand new TV and I'm so proud of that TV. Well, about a month later, maybe, uh, maybe two months later, true story, same guy, the same thief came back to see us. We were away out visiting. He broke, broke into our house and he stole my brand new TV. Three TVs in about two months. Well, they caught the guy. They caught him. That's why I know it's the, it was the same guy. They called him a fellow of the name of Donnie. They sent him off to jail. And there in jail, Donnie, quote, found the Lord. He found religion. And he wrote me a letter. This thief wrote me a letter from jail to apologize. And, and, and the letter started out by saying something like, uh, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Parker, Hi, how are you? We're not doing much. Uh, we're just sitting around watching TV. The guy liked TV, folks. He really enjoyed TV. Now, I appreciated his letter, okay? I appreciated the thief's letter. But let me tell you something about old Donnie. He was a thief. You know how Jesus is coming? Like Donnie. Scripture says he's coming as a thief in the night. See, Donnie did not send me a text. This was the day before texting. Uh, he did not send me an email. This was the day before emailing. Uh, he, didn't, uh, he didn't call me on the phone and say, Hey, Keith, you better stay home tonight because I'm going to break it. He didn't, he didn't warn me. He came unexpectedly. You know how Jesus is coming? Like Donnie. Like Donnie. Do you realize, folks, that Jesus could come before this sermon is over? Now, I know that some of you are getting nervous. You're thinking, how long is he going to preach tonight, right? But he could come before the sermon is over. He could come before we sing the invitation song tonight. He could come before this week is over. Or Jesus might not come for two or three million years. I don't know when Jesus, I just don't know when Jesus is coming. I don't. So who's coming? Well, the Lord's coming. When? 
kind of wish that I could tell you, but I don't know. But here's question number three, doctrinal question number three. You ready for it? Question number three is, what? And by what I simply mean, what's it going to be like the day that Jesus comes? The day that Jesus comes, what's it going to be like? Well, let's go back to the text. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord, who's coming? The Lord is coming. When? As a thief of the night. What's it going to be like? Peter says, In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Can, can you imagine what that day is going to be like? It's going to be like today. It's going to be like a Wednesday. Maybe 47, 40 degrees outside, 49, 50, a few clouds in the sky. People are going to be going to work. They're going to be going to school. They're going to be at the ball field. They're going to be hunting and fishing and eating and playing. They're going to be sleeping. It's going to be as normal as everyday normal, just like today, like a Thursday, like a Friday, like a Saturday. Just going to be as normal as everyday normal. But I'm telling you, folks, reading verse 10, it's going to be the most, <laughs> the most, what would you say, abnormal, the most incredible day that we've ever seen. Can you imagine? All of a sudden, we hear a great noise. During this sermon, just a whoo, deafening sound. And we stop. What was that? Man, I don't know, but we've got to get out of this church building. This may be an earthquake. So we all start running for these doors. And maybe on your way out, you remember this verse. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief of the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. And you hear that great sound? And when we get outside in the parking lot, we look up. and We're just standing and looking. And What are these? Preachers. Angels? Are they angels? And maybe you know enough Bible, you think about Matthew 25 and verse 31. When the Son of Man should come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him. And we're just looking up to the sky, looking at these We've never seen anything like them. Are they angels? In the midst of all these creatures, there's a light much brighter than these lights. You want to look at it. You can't look. It's so bright. And maybe you think about 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. Jesus will come in flame and fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, upon them that obey not the gospel. And that fire, that torch, so bright, you want to look, you can't look. But that torch begins to speak. Dead, come forth. John 5, 28 and 29. Marvel not at this, the hour is coming, in which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. And Jesus begins to cry, Dead, come forth. And we look around. The most amazing thing happens. Graves begin to open up. We didn't even know people were buried around this church building. But graves begin to open up and bodies begin to ascend. And then we fill ourselves being taken up into the air. And the next thing we know, we stand before a brilliant, dazzling, awesome white throne. Revelation 20 and verse 11, And I saw a great white throne and Him that sat on it. And the next thing we know, we hear our names and we're next in line at judgment. And the Lord will either say, Come, 
or depart. I'm telling you, folks, what's it going to be like? It's going to be like today. It's going to be like tomorrow. It's going to be the average, typical, normal, everyday normal. But it's also going to be the most incredible, the most uh, abnormal day we've ever seen. Now, with that in mind, notice the question in verse 11. 2 Peter 3, verse 11. Those are the doctrinal questions. Seeing then that all these things should be dissolved, he asked this question. What manner of persons ought you to be? What kind of people should we be? In light of the fact that Jesus is coming, there's a great day that's coming. What kind of people should we be in all holy conduct and godliness? What kind of people should we be? And I tell you, verse 12 gets my attention. Don't miss verse 12. I don't know what your Bible says. My Bible says, looking far, looking far, and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. What does that mean, looking far and hasting unto? What does that mean? That means we ought to be excited about it. Ought to look forward to it. God willing, tomorrow night, we're going to find out if our sixth grandbaby is a girl or a boy. We don't know if it's going to be a girl or going to be a boy. Tomorrow night, God willing, we'll find out in Huntsville, Alabama, we're going to have a gender reveal celebration. And the gender of our sixth grandbaby will be revealed to us. Our, our daughter is about five months into the pregnancy. We will find out, all of us will find out if it's going to be a little girl, a little boy tomorrow night. When I read 2 Peter 3, verse 12, you know what I think of? I think about somebody in the waiting room. Maybe a husband, maybe a granddaddy, maybe a child. But from a granddaddy standpoint, I, I think about my daughter giving birth to this little baby. She's in the delivery room and maybe the husband's in there and I'm standing and I'm, you know, I'm just kind of a little bit nervous. I'm pacing back and forth and back and forth. You know, I can't wait for the doctor to come out and say, hey, everything's okay. Healthy baby girl, healthy baby boy. We just can't wait for the doctor to come and to say everything's okay. And when I read 2 Peter 3 verse 12, that's, that's what's in my mind. As God's people, we're in a waiting room. This whole world is just, we're, we're here in a waiting room. And we can't wait for the great doctor, the great physician to burst through the doors of heaven and say, my child, everything's okay. It's time to come home. Are you looking forward to it? Are you excited about it? You just can't wait for Jesus to come. Well, maybe to answer that question, it's, it's really all back to the question, are we ready? That brings us to three practical questions. Are we excited about that day? Are we looking forward to that day? Here's question number one. Practical question number one. Is heaven truly your home? We talked about it last night. Talking about the future. Is heaven your home? Some time ago, I went up to uh, Wisconsin to preach. You ever been to Wisconsin? Met some wonderful people. But you know, when I preach in the north, uh, there's just a, there's, I, don't, I don't know of a nice way to say this, but I'll just say it. There, there's a difference in the way that southern people talk and the way that Georgia people talk and the way that Wisconsin people talk. Have you noticed the difference? I mean, you can take one of our southern boys and put him up there in the north 
And in just a few months, he'll be talking with that Yankee accent, right? Now you can take one of those northern boys and put him down here in the south and in just a few months we'll have him talking normally. There's just a difference in the way that southern people talk and the way that northern people talk. And I go up north to preach and they hear me talk and you know what they want to know? Sir, where, where are you from? You know, I go into a motel to check in. Excuse me, where's your home? Go into a restaurant to eat. They hear me talk. Excuse me, where are you from? You know what I say? Hendersonville, Tennessee. That's home. You say the same about Valdosta, right? Go on a trip, a vacation. Hey, where are you from? Where's home? Valdosta, Georgia, right? And as I told you last night, folks, the writers of the New Testament come along and they say, brethren, that's wrong. Valdosta's not home. Hendersonville's not home. Georgia's not home. Tennessee's not home. Our home is in heaven. Is heaven really home to you? The next time somebody says, where's home? I dare you. I dare you to say heaven. Oh, you might follow that up by saying, I'm temporarily in, in, in Valdosta, Georgia, but heaven's home. Is heaven really your home? That's questionable, and here's number two. Have you made any preparation? See, we're just trying to find out, are you excited about it? Are you looking forward to it? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. Number one, is heaven home? Number two, have you made any preparation? Maybe you've heard Wes or Chance or one of the elders say something like, you know, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. You've heard that, right? Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. I believe that's a true statement. It's true not because we preachers make that statement. It's true because that's exactly what Jesus implied. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Indeed, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Let me just speak to those of you who are not Christians. We have some people in this audience who are not Christians. Please make some preparation. You need to be born again, born of water and the Spirit, John 3. Uh, you need to do what the Corinthians did. Acts 18, verse 8, the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. You know the hardest thing about becoming a Christian? Let me show you the hardest thing that you have to do to become a Christian in my judgment. Hardest thing is found in verse 9. Go back to verse 9, 2 Peter 3. The Lord is patient with us. He's, he's long-suffering. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to, what does your Bible say, to what? Repentance. See, baptism is easy. Really, it's easy to be baptized. Preacher does all the work. Preacher puts you under the water, brings you up. I tell you what's hard about becoming a Christian. It's this, it's this thing called repentance. God commands all people everywhere to repent. Acts 17.30. You know what that means? He wants you to change. Some time ago, I wrote a bulletin article for a church entitled, The Church Must Change. The church must change. And my, 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 that was like dropping a bomb among that audience. People got upset. Some of our deacons had heart attacks. What do you mean the church must change, Keith? And I said, folks, settle down. I'm not talking about changing scripture. I'm not talking about changing the word of God. But I am talking about changing hearts and changing lives and changing attitudes. But when Jesus said, Luke 13, 3 and 5, I tell you, except you repent, you're going to perish. You know what he's saying? Jesus is saying, I want you to change. What do you need to change? Maybe it's the way that you've been talking. Maybe it's your attitude. It's hard to turn around. But see, if you want to become a Christian, you've got to repent. You've got to start loving what you used to hate, start hating what you used to love. You've got to change. The Bible teaches repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. 
Some of you need to do that. Some of you are not Christians. And I would say to you what Ananias said to Saul, why do you wait? Acts 22, 16, what are you, what are you waiting for? I, I would say to you, arise, get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Uh, some of us need to do that. You say, Brother Keith, you're not talking to me. I'm a baptized believer. Oh, you're a baptized believer? Let me ask the Christians of this audience one simple little question. Are you faithful? Are you faithful? See, we're just trying to find out, are we excited about it? Are we looking forward to it? Question number one, is heaven really home? Question number two, have you made any preparations? So Christians, are you faithful? Revelation 2.10, be faithful not only till you die, but even if it means your death, unto death. Be faithful until you die. Are you faithful to Jesus? Well, that brings us to question number three. Practical question number three. It may be the most important one. Number one is heaven home. Number two, have you made any preparations? And here's number three. If the choice were yours... Would you bring Jesus back tonight? If God left it up to you. You know, our spiritual response to that, and I say our spiritual in quotation, we usually say, ah, you know, man, I I don't want Jesus to come tonight because I have a mama that's lost, I have a daddy that's lost, I have a brother in sin, I have a sister in sin. Yeah, we're all concerned about these people, right? But Peter says, looking for and hasting unto. Get excited about it. Be anxious. Be, be, be excited that the doctor's going to burst through and say, hey, everything's okay. If the choice were yours, would you bring, bring Jesus back tonight? Let's take that question back to the Apostle Paul. Paul, we're from 2021. This is not going to make a lot of sense to you. But Paul, Paul, if the choice were yours, Would you bring Jesus back right now? Here's his answer. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my leaving, the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, therefore, there is later for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that, but unto all them also that, you remember? He's going to give me that crown of righteousness, but not to me only, unto all them also that love, He is appearing. Do you love the thought that Jesus could come back tonight? Imagine this is not a Bible. It's not a Bible, it's a button, a spiritual button. And the only thing that you have to do to stop time, to start eternity, the only thing that you have to do to bring Jesus and the angels back tonight is to press this button. The choice is yours. Would you press the button? Imagine, I don't know who's going to lead the closing prayer, but imagine our brother gets up 
And he prays like this, Father, this world is not home. We're passing through. We're tired of cancer. We're tired of the virus. We're tired of divorce. We're tired of sickness and pain and sorrow. Lord, please send Jesus back tonight. If our brother prayed that for the closing prayer, could you say amen? Would you say amen to that prayer? It is the last recorded prayer in the Bible. The last recorded prayer in the Bible, Revelation 22 and verse 20. John the prophet of Patmos penned, Even so come, Lord Jesus. Would you do me a favor? Do me a favor. I, I tell you what I want, folks. And, and it really doesn't matter what I want. It's what God wants. So may God's will be done. But I tell you my heart's desire. I don't want to die. I do not want to die. I pray for safety as I go back to Huntsville, Alabama tomorrow. I pray for safety. You say, Keith, would you die tonight? I don't want to die. I want to live. God put it in us, a desire to live. Why would he say, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. If living long down here is not a blessing, why would God promise that? It's a great blessing to live. That's why he calls heaven eternal life, not eternal death. You say, Keith, do you want to die? I don't want to die. But I tell you what I want. I want Jesus to come in my lifetime. I do want to be alive when Jesus comes. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus came back tonight? Would you do me a favor? Put that on your prayer list. Start praying for the coming of Jesus. If I, if I can get thousands of people all across America to start praying that, who knows what God may bring to the table. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Jesus came back tonight? I love you. I want to bear my soul. Some of us don't need to walk down a church aisle. We need to run down a church aisle. That's how urgent it is. And if you knew that Jesus were coming at 8.05 at 7.59 according to our clock, if you knew that Jesus were coming in six minutes, what would you do right now? Honestly. Honestly, what would you do? You need to be prayed for? Come on. You need to become a Christian? Come on. Please come before Jesus comes. Because I'm praying. I am praying that Jesus will come in my lifetime. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus came back tonight? Are you ready? There's a great day that's coming. Why don't you respond before that day comes, would you? Who's going to lead the way tonight? We're going to find out. I'm excited about singing the invitation song.